Welcome back to the second episode of Macroeconomics. This is Dr. Terry Elin coming to you from home to wherever you are. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the economic ride. So in the last podcast, we talked about the idea of gross domestic product. And at the very end, there is a slight discussion about how to calculate inflation using the gross domestic product. I referred to you guys to the videos and everything else, the notes, to be able to calculate this because it is a situation where it's much more easy to learn that as you can see what's going on because we're dealing with equations. All in all, you had to be able to calculate nominal and real GDP, which real abstracts removes the inflation component. And by putting nominal over real, you're able to extract just the inflation part. Once again, look through the notes, listen to the videos, and that should be clear. So today, the goal is to kind of look at another way of calculating inflation, and that is using the consumer price index or the CPI approach. CPI is short for consumer price index, and this is just a different way of measuring inflation. So as much as gross domestic product deflator approach uh, measured inflation, the GDP approach measured inflation on everything produced in Canada in a given time period. Because we know that GDP takes into account everything that's produced in Canada for a given time period. Uh, so anything produced domestically. But the big difference there between that and the CPI approach is it's not necessarily everything that Canadians produce that Canadians consume. Therefore, if the price of uranium goes up by 30%, it doesn't really impact our bottom line that much. Uh, if, if you think about like feeding yourself and so on and surviving and making sure you your wages increase by enough to compensate for the increase in the price level, well, the price of uranium probably won't have much of an impact. So there's a lot of things in GDP that we produce, but we don't necessarily consume, so it doesn't influence us as much. However, if the price of bananas, avocados, and a bunch of other fruits doubles or triples in price, those are things that we don't produce in Canada, those specific fruits, but we definitely consume them. So that impacts our bottom line more. So inflation using uh, the consumer price index approach is just more relevant to the typical consumer. So often if you read the newspaper, they'll be talking about inflation using the CPI approach or the cost of living or the kind of uh, basket of goods has gone up by this percentage. Okay. So we're interested in this CPI approach and typically this cost, uh, this basket that uh, Statistics Canada looks at consists of about 600 items and it says that these are the items that a typical consumer consumes. So if we think of 600 items, it sounds like a lot, but if you go to the grocery store and you go to uh, the clothing store and sports store and so on and so forth, uh, 600 items total is not all that much. And uh, there, there might be different quantities for each item. So if I think of like orange juice, it could be like two liters of orange juice and then a certain amount of pasta and everything else. Well, 600 items just tries to encompass as 
best as possible uh, the goods that a typical consumer consumes. So if I think of caviar or fancy items or diamond rings and so on and so forth, those goods are probably not part of CPI. So they probably don't have as much of an influence on that inflation calculation. So if the price of caviar were to triple, it probably wouldn't have any impact on CPI inflation. You could find the actual list on Statistics Canada and look through it. If you look through the notes, you'll be able to see what percentage of CPI's basket is attributed to different goods. So we often think about food. Well, food is an important component, and it's one of the bigger ones, but it's only about 16% of the, that basket of goods. Then there's shelter, which com- encompasses 26%, transportation, close to 20%, household uh, operations and furnishing, 13%. And then there's smaller components, such as alcoholic beverages and tobacco products, which is only 3%. So naturally, if you think about yourself and your consumption, the way you consume is not necessarily the same way as what's going on on this kind of pie chart. It's You might be consuming a greater proportion of your money. It goes towards shelter. It could be a lesser amount. And then you could have more towards recreation or clothing. You could just kind of spend all your money on clothing. You don't have any transportation. You walk to work and so on. But once again, this is trying to represent inflation for the average, typical Canadian. Um, so it's not a perfect me- metric for everyone, but it gives a good idea of what's going on. So if we were to calculate inflation using the CPI approach, first step involved in that is knowing what the actual basket is. So knowing what quantity of each goods is involved. And if you have a question and you're Uh, class in terms of quizzes uh, or exams, you're going to be attributed a certain quantity of the different goods. So often to keep things simple, we just kind of limit it to three goods and you'll be told, well, you consume this amount of X, this amount of Y, and this amount of Z. So you need to know those quantities first off, because it's not what we produce that's important. It's what we consume at this stage. So maybe you'll have like a a lot of information and some less relevant for the CPI approach and some will be based on production. So you might be producing 100 of X, but you only consume five of it. And you might be not producing any of Z, but you're consuming a lot of it being an imported good such as avocados. So that's the situation you have. So you start by determining what the basket is. You need to have that information. Then you have to find the prices of all of those items for each year or period that you're interested in. So if you look at the price of avocados, if you're looking at this for a two-year time period, it's pretty straightforward. You just need to have the prices for those two years, but maybe you're looking at this trend of the, the cost of living for the last 10 years. So you'll have like that same product and looking at different prices every year. Once you've found all the prices for all of the goods that were in that basket that were determined in the first step, then you could calculate what the actual cost of that basket was for all the respective periods or years. And then once you find that cost, then that's when you start inputting that information into an equation form. So the first steps are pretty straightforward. Find what's in the basket. What makes sense to have in the basket? Statistics Canada would tell you But if you're thinking about yourself, just build yourself a basket. That'll be your personalized 
cost of living index and how it changes. Look at everything that you consume and then ask yourself, what were the prices the past few years and this year? And then how much did it cost to be able to consume that? And then by looking at that trend of how much that cost increases, you could ask yourself, well, by how much does my salary have to increase for me to be able to keep on consuming that same basket of goods? Um, so that's the situation that you have. So how do you look at that trend or how much it's increasing in price? Well, then overall, once again, this is equation. So you should look at the slides and the videos. But essentially what you're doing is you're putting up uh, the price of the New Year's basket, like the, the, the year that you're interested in going to over the price of the basket for the, the base year that you're kind of looking at. So if you think in a simple framework, well, let's say a basket of goods costs you 1500 this year, and that same basket of goods cost you 1000 last year. Well, if you're kind of just uh, used to seeing those kind of easy numbers, you could say, well, it cost 1000 last year, it's 1500 this year, that's a 50% increase. Well, how would you find that 50% information? So if you forget what the equation looks like, uh, because you haven't seen it yet, or you're, 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 you're suffering a blank on an exam, well, just go through a simple example, like something that would cost 1000 last year and it costs 1100 this year or 1500. So you put 1100 over 1000, and then you get like 1.1. Okay, 1.1 is not 10%. So what I have to do then is I need to remove the one. So whatever that one over the other minus one will give me 0.1 and 0.1 I know it's a tenth of one but just to make things simple we always multiply by 100 and then that end result of that new cost over the old cost minus one and then that result you multiply by 100 the number that you obtain is the percentage change in the price level so if you do a thousand a hundred over a thousand minus one gives you 0.1 and then you multiply by 100 you get 10% and that makes sense if you think a 10% increase from $1,000 it's going to be $1,100 so that's how you do it so if you ever you suffer a blank just think of a simple example of price increasing and try to see how would you have to set it up to be able to calculate that once again every time something deals with calculation and math it's not necessarily complicated but you need to do a few practice trials before the exam or the quiz to make sure that you're successful on this because math is not necessarily hard but it's easy to make simple mistakes so here make sure you practice the one of the biggest mistakes i notice on some of the exams is that people forget to attribute a weight uh, to the different parts of the basket so they'll see like three different goods that cost let's say three four and five dollars in year one and then they cost four five and six dollars in year two and they'll simply do well the cost in year two is four plus six plus five or four plus five plus six which is 15 and then the cost in year one three plus four plus five is 12 so 15 over 12 blah 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 the problem with that if you don't multiply by the specific weight is you're assuming that you consume the equal amount of units for all of the goods out there, which can be true, but often isn't. Like yeah, there's a bunch of things that you might consume only one unit a month, and there's other things that you'll consume multiple units a month. 
So if I think of like Sriracha hot sauce, well, I'm not buying those bottles as frequently as I might be buying chicken or pasta or something else because that bottle just lasts a lot longer. But if I kind of treat them all as on this, uh, just adding up the prices, it's assuming that you're essentially saying I consume one of each or I consume the, the equal quantity of each. And that's a, a big error and uh, make sure you don't do it. So always multiply by the quantity because that way you get the weight and you get your actual cost and not just the total of the prices. So what are some of the errors involved in using CPI versus other forms of inflation uh, with GDP deflator? Well, the big thing here is um, that CPI assumes that you consume the same basket of goods throughout. And the classic example I give is uh, many years ago, I went to Australia for the summer to see a friend and to travel around. And while I was there, I noticed that the price of bananas was extremely high. And I used to consume bananas every morning. And in the end, because they were like four times what I used to pay, I just didn't buy many bananas over that summer. And the reason for that being I learned afterwards is there was a severe drought and it just made the price of bananas be really high. Well, if we were using the consumer price index approach and we were to tabulate the cost from one year to the next, well, if we stated that in a base year, consumers consume, I don't know, like five bananas per week, and we kind of force that on them for all of the years that we're looking at, that year there'll be a spike in their cost because uh, the price of bananas spiked. But in reality, as soon as the price of one goods goes up a lot, consumers might substitute away from that good. I just ended up buying other things that satisfied me in a similar way to bananas for in the morning. And um, I just didn't buy as much. But the consumer price index approach does not allow for this because if we think of the first step, it's establishing what is that basket of goods and once you've established that you're not uh, budging from it because otherwise it doesn't make sense to compare a basket of goods that consists of oranges in year one and then bananas in year two and something else in year three you wouldn't be comparing the same thing and that's the strength in the weakness of the consumer price index approach is that you're always looking at the same basket and then based on that as well consumer price index might make more sense to look at it for a shorter time period and in a certain way that because if you look at it for a very long time period there's certain goods that just don't exist at a given point in time and might get introduced so if you were to look at consumer price index and looking at the price of fuel gasoline over time uh, well as more and more electric cars get introduced we're we're no long we're less and less impacted by the price of fuel and uh, it's something that the cpi might not take into account because once it was established uh, let's say in year 2005 well there was practically no electric cars on the market and uh, it made sense to say that everyone consumes so many amount of liters of gasoline but we'll put gasoline aside because in the future we'll talk about like core CPI or the core of, uh, of uh, inflation. And typically we remove those volatile components because the price of fuel can change quite drastically. And then last but not least, uh, sometimes we not, might not be comparing the exact same goods, such as the quality changes in, 
goods and services, so certain computers, cameras, technology, they've changed in quality over the years, uh, so that makes it a little bit tricky as well. So the big difference between CPI inflation and GDP inflation is really that one's based on consumption and one's based on production. But if you look at the graph on the notes, you'll notice that they generally move in the same direction. If the economy is doing well and it's overheating, well, you'll have really high inflation in both cases. If we're going through a recession, likelihood is that we'll have a drop in price in both segments as well. If we think about this past uh, period with the pandemic, a lot of people say that we're kind of like in a small recession, but there's still a lot of things that go up in price. So once again, it's not focusing too much energy on those few things that go up in price. You'd have to be looking at the big picture. Overall, we'll see a post-pandemic and what the inflation rates were. But the big things that change or increase in price drastically are lumber increase in price drastically, like uh, just like basic lumber for construction purposes. And then housing in rural areas has increased a lot. And we'll see how everything else kind of pans out over time. Okay. And uh, last but not least is the discussion of nominal versus real interest rates. So similarly to the last video or audio segment, there's a difference between nominal and real. And the big difference between nominal and real, as I mentioned, and I'll mention it again here, is that real removes the inflation component. So nominal interest rate is the interest rate that you perceive or that you see on your statements. If you go to get a loan and they tell you your loan will be at 2% or 10%, that is the nominal interest rate. The real interest rate is once you remove that inflation component. Why is that important? Well, just to know that getting a mortgage at 2% or 10% may seem like a world of a difference. But in reality, it's the real interest rate that's important. Because the real interest rate, when you remove inflation, really tells you how much you have to pay to gain access to this service. The explanation behind this is, let's say you have 2% interest and there is no inflation. So you decide to buy a house, for illustration purposes, it's $100,000. Well, at 2%, you're paying $2,000 worth of interest in a year. Uh, but that same house would cost you $1,000 next year. So like the cost that you're paying to gain access to something that you don't have money for is 2% every year. But in the case of having 12% interest, you could think, well, that's a really big cost to be able to purchase something that I um, don't have the money for right now. But there's a big difference if, if ever you had 12% interest and you had 11% inflation or 10% to keep it simple here, uh, it would lead to the same kind of cost involved in uh, getting a loan. What I mean by that is, let's say that $100,000 home, you pay 12% interest on it. Well, you paid $12,000 to gain access to this home. But this home is not true that it's still selling for 100000 next year. If there's 10% inflation, it's selling for 110000 So to gain access to this home, you pay 12000 in interest, but it would have cost you 10000 more next year. So the real cost of getting access to this loan was only 
So we notice here that a 12% interest rate with 10% inflation is the same as 2% interest rate with 0% inflation. And if we had 12% interest and 11% inflation, it would actually be cheaper to borrow money in real terms than it would be if we only had 2% interest with 0% inflation. So it's something to keep in mind because you might have an uncle or an aunt or someone else who will tell you at some point, you guys are lucky when you, you're buying a house, interest rates are super low right now. Uh, you're able to, to, to get a really low interest rate. In my day in the 70s and 80s, we paid like 15, 20% interest on our uh, loans. Yes, but in that same time period, there's really high levels of inflation. In real terms, how much they paid and in interest rate was not, actually not that high. It wasn't really higher than it is now. Yeah, depending on the period that you're looking at, it could have been slightly higher, but it could have also been slightly lower. So it's very important when you consider interest to look at the real interest rate. So we'll uh, talk about the real aspect of everything uh, in this class, but just keep that in mind. So in this way, the, the easy way to calculate is just your nominal rate minus your inflation rate. It's as simple as that for this one. So I hope you guys enjoyed this uh, little chat. I'll uh, talk to you soon.